everyone. Welcome to Two Black Girls, our bi-weekly podcast featuring two black girls. Today, Nicole and I are going to be talking about the perceptions of women, particularly black women. We've talked, we've started this conversation before when we talked about the perceptions of millennial, and we really want to just dig deeper into that and how that um, uh, shows up for us as black women who are professionals, who are family oriented, you know, who are just existing in this space currently through all of the pandemic and everything that's going on. So we really want to focus on talking through how we present ourselves and how that is and is not perceived by other people in a variety of spaces, particularly in the workspace in, um, in particular. So Nicole, this is something that was actually like really important to you that you brought up as a topic for us to talk through. So can you just kind of give us some context around like why this came up for you and why this is um, so important for us to discuss right now? Yes. Yeah, so um, hello, listeners. This is Nicole. I was doing my nightly reading, I guess you could say, and in the midst of all the articles that are out now about Black Lives Matter and the different um, consequences of the protest and all that stuff, one article kind of stood out to me and it was talking about like the 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 new importance of Black women. Um, not necessarily as a direct consequence of Black Lives Matter, but like as the as the new, I guess, golden nugget in your pocket, so to speak. And so it was just kind of talking about like, is now the time when, you know, she begins to get elevated, promoted, you start seeing her on different boards. Um, you know, we asked for her opinion, all the different responsibility she handles as a leader as a manager it was just kind of like putting that fresh spotlight on black women and it just kind of struck a chord in me because it was kind of like we've been around you know we've been doing these things <laughs> we've been important um thank you to all the protesters who made us uh, the new important but it was just I don't know I didn't take it as like a condescending thing but it was just kind of like as with most men, white people, managers, whatever, we kind of have to raise our hand, both our hands and be like, hello, you know, I'm here. Um, I can handle the tasks that you put in front of me. And, you know, I am aspiring to be something. So I don't know, it kind of struck that chord. And it really got me thinking about how we're viewed, you know, how we're viewed before, how we're viewed now, and and what we do with that. So you know, I know that a lot of times we can be overlooked by men um, or taken for granted, so to speak, especially if you, you know, manage a household and or you're a mother, you know, and you're a working career woman. And so, um, you know, we can be taken for granted by men and we can be passed up by the higher ups or or not really understood by managers and I kind of wanted to delve into that a little bit because I think we've all experienced that point in our career that point in our job where it's just kind of like we have to prove ourselves a little extra and for what you know sometimes we get the benefit of it we get the promotion we get the raise other times it's just kind of like that's nice 
onto Becky. And so, you know, Sherelle, what are your thoughts? I always, always go to you because I feel like, you know, your career path, your, your industry is, I'm not going to say more diverse, but a lot of times it's not the traditional (laughs) old white man of banking. So, you know, I look to you to kind of, to kind of tell us how, how has that impacted you or do you even see this or is it, is it all fair in your world? The world is not fair. You should have seen the look listeners pause. You should have seen the look (laughs) she gave me. (laughs) I mean, cause like I work in education, like what about education is fair in any regard? Let's just start there. True. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's not fair. Cause I think like while, while education is heavily dominated by women, um, black women are still not, you know, as prevalent as we should be, especially given like the history of, you know, like the role that black women have played when it comes to teaching folks and nurturing children and caretaking. Um, We're not nearly as um, visible as we should be when it comes to that. And especially so when you're thinking about leadership positions and that is, um, and that's something I was thinking about when you were speaking just about like how we're perceived and how we're, how we, um, the opportunities that we have or the opportunities that we don't get. Uh, Cause when I, I think about my own experiences, a lot of times like leaders are comfortable with giving me so much power. Right. But usually it's very difficult to break through that barrier of like mid-level leadership because it's like, well, we'll let you show up as a leader. Like we'll let you be department chair We may even let you be an assistant principal. Maybe we'll let you like pick out the curriculum for next year. You know what I mean? Like it's still leadership opportunities, but we're still not in charge, right? At least not enough. When you think about like percentage wise and the number of students we're serving and the number of um, black students who are in these communities and schools and who are being supported, like how many black students have black leaders, particularly women in front of them. And so I think, um, that is definitely like a misconception. Like people see that we have the capacity to do this work, the intellect to do this work, the the energy to do the work, even though we feel like we don't have the energy. Like at the end of the day, we do. You know, I definitely consider us to be like superheroes. Um, I think black women are superheroes in all regards. Um, and again, and we can go back to how like we raised our own children while we raised other people's children and then we did all these other things you know like who else could do that other than a superhero so I think that like we continue to show up and show that we can do the work um and that we're good at the work we're not just like mediocre like we're great at what we do but then when it comes time to like actually providing that recognition and providing those um true opportunities to lead and direct and manage like somehow you know, what we're doing and what we're, pro- we're producing gets lost in translation. Uh, and so it definitely puts this image in my mind in terms of like this workhorse mentality, right? Like we know that you have the capacity to do it and we're going to work you and work you and work you. And then we'll still find someone else to be over you and to lead you and to take the credit for the work that you're doing rather than just like provide that opportunity for you um, to be able to receive your own recognition. And we don't do, and I think part of that too, though, is because we are, at least again, I'm always speaking from my experience, right? Um, We are good at 
not needing the recognition. And so like, because we're doing the work because we love to do it, or we're interested in this, or we care about all of these different things, we don't need or require the same type of um, acknowledgement and recognition that we should. And then we, we end up pigeonholing, our, pigeonholing ourselves and others around us who are similar to us because people would just get used to not having to pay us what we're worth, not having to credit us when we're, you know, when it's our idea or whatever. And then when we do get into a space where we're like, hold up, you know, like this was, I did this, I said this, I deserve this. Then it shifts to, oh, now she's arrogant and now she's ungrateful and now she's aggressive and abrasive, you know, and then, and then it becomes this negative narrative when in actuality, like all we're doing is advocating for um, the work that we're producing. You know, and and how good we're making other people look because we make other people look good just by being on the team with us. People are gonna shine. So I don't know. I I know that that's my experience, especially when it comes to education. I would imagine that's similar to you, but like you said, like banking is very white male dominated. So has that also been your experience? Well, I just I think that you know I look at my own company that I work for, and sadly they're is only a handful of minority women at the top, even smaller percentage or number of black female, because, you know, they use the minority code, like that just automatically means black women and it doesn't. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really disheartening to see. And I'm hoping in light of everything that's going on, that it's something that will be addressed and will be changed. But again, I'm nervous in that you just, from here, you give the seat up or you give the position up because you want to check that diversity box or that Black Lives Matter box. And I would hope that there's more thought and consideration into that um, because we do have black women that are qualified that it, that have been in the business that are smart and um i i guess i guess in my experience there's one for every department one for every uh level of management so to speak like you know there's there's one in marketing one in admin one in trading um there's none on the portfolio management team there's black guy but you know, and so it's just kind of like check, check, check. Okay, all right, we've covered all the what we consider female roles, and we've got you know minority in there, so we should be okay if we all have to take a picture. I mean, so it's just it's that kind of thing. But what I will say that I can appreciate at my job that I don't always see professionally or socially is the fact that we are not like competing with each other. We're not jealous of each other. And so, you know, I can go over to marketing or I can go over to admin and and be vulnerable and learn something or, you know, let my guard down and say, I'm feeling weak in this area. I'm feeling like, you know, or I'm feeling strong in this area. Can I help you? And And there's more camaraderie than there is the jealousy or the tearing down. You know, a lot of what I see where I'm at in terms of the competition, unfortunately, is when you have like the managers and then you have us as, as you know, in the, in the lower management position, so to speak. And so 
I always get confused because I'm like, if we're already on this struggle bus together, fellow black woman, why are we competing with each other? Why are we tearing each other down? Why, if I'm confident, are you upset with me? Especially if you struggle with, you know, low self-esteem or you struggle with insecurity or not knowing your worth or not wanting to work as hard. Why is the target the strong black woman of the group? Um, and why won't you accept me helping to build you up? You know what I mean? And that that is the part that that I guess irks me and makes me mad. And so how do we how do we deal with that? Because you're you're a strong black woman. <laughs> you don't need to hear that from me. But um and so, you know, exuding that confidence and that that determination in your job. Obviously, I'm sure you come across those that are that are less secure than you. What type of response do you receive and how do you deal with that? I mean, yeah, like that's been the story of my life. So I and lately, I I guess the older I get to, I start to think more about like just my parents and my upbringings. Um, And I don't know if these guys were intentional or if it just kind of happened. I don't know. I give them their credit, but I'm like, did y'all even know that this was what y'all were doing? But I think they like, they like raised me to be super confident anyway. Right. Um, That was just like an expectation. And so um, I've always like had this mindset and this belief, especially as a black woman, like I've always had this mindset and this belief that we as black people are like great. Um, and so like, if I have this confidence that you should have this confidence and you should have this confidence, like we should all feel this way about ourselves because collectively, like we're like unstoppable, you know, I've always just kind of like had that type of mindset. And so then when I do start entering into professional spaces, or I guess when I did, um, at the early parts of my career, it was an adjustment to start to really understand like this, it's a crabs in a bucket mentality. Um, cause I, I went to an HBCU, so I'm used to being in competitive spaces with black folks, but to me that made sense sort of, because we really are like competing if you, if it makes sense, like we are competing for certain, uh, positions on campus and we are competing for different internships and stuff like that. So it makes sense for us to like be great, know the other person's great. And there still be sort of this, like this this tension almost because we really, there are so many spots available. There are only so many spots available. Um, But then when you get to like the professional world, like once we've already made it and we should technically be on the same team, but that's not like to your point, right? That's usually not what happens, especially when you are someone who um, shows up and is like, well, I hear what you're saying, but you can't really tell me like how to feel about myself or, you know, how to really think about like, my worth or what I'm able to like do and accomplish. Cause I've always had this mentality that like, I'm the person that's going to stop me from being great. You, It can't be another person that stops me from being great. It's me. I'm in a battle with myself all the mm-hmm. time. Um, but that is not necessarily the same mindset that a lot of people have. So I do know, especially on like personal levels, right? Like thinking about like my relationships with black women and even mentorships, um, with black women, as I try to like, um, or as I continue to try to like climb the ladder in my profession and things like that, like it has been difficult for me. I've always gotten more support from men in the workplace than I have from women and white men or black men. Like it's, it's or I guess 
even non-white or black men. But there's always been like this tension between me and black women in particular, even white women have been more helpful, right? So like there's always been like this tension between me and black women in particular as it related to like being successful and things like that. Cause it's like, we have internalized and I do blame it on society, but we as black women have internalized, like there can only be one of us who is in this position and who's representing the black female voice, mm-hmm. um, which is silly. Like we just like you and I, uh, Nicole, like we're both black women and we have two very different perspectives a lot of times when it comes to stuff. So I can't be your representative and you can't be mine because we don't necessarily view the world the same. We haven't had the same experiences. You know what I'm saying? We haven't even lived in the same place for a long period of time. So like there are things that you're just not going to see or agree with that I will and vice versa because I can't be your representative. I can only represent myself. But for some reason, that has been like a struggle, you know, for me on a personal level because I do, I reflect on that. Like, why do I not have... um this large network of black women that I can always call on and and rely on and and support um, because I do view us the way that we do, but really it is because I guess, I guess I'm realizing as I'm talking through this right now, that is because like that is by design, right? Like society has created this um, narrative where we are always fighting with one another. We always are in competition of one another. We're always feeling like we have to put somebody down. You know, we're always fighting for like male attention even, right? Like when you think about that, like how we fight one another over male attention and and recognition in those ways, like we are literally tearing down ourselves as black women, um, which is really unfortunate. Uh, Because again, I think we're superheroes. We could be our own like Fantastic Four, um, but that number is obviously too limiting, but we could like be our own, like, you know, X-Men, Fantastic Four, group of people. <laughs> we could be our own, our own Wu-Tang Clan where everybody's a member. Um, That's actually a great example. <laughs> <laughs> you can't list all the members because there's so many of us. And the other one, didn't the other group have a lot of people too? Tribe uh, Conquest? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, it's it's that it's that three is a crowd mentality, um, the higher up you go. And I don't think that that's fair. But it's from more than just a professional angle, because like you said, superheroes with like multiple powers and wear multiple hats interchangeably throughout a 24 hour period. And so. um the recent socioeconomic changes that have happened, you know, this Black Lives Matter thing and, and you know, to our listeners, I don't know if you, you guys listened a few episodes back where we, you know, our gratitude episode where we talked to, you know, a Black mom having to raise her son in the midst of all of this. Um, as a mother, as a worker, as a breadwinner, how has it affected Black women? Like, you know, in your personal experience or what you've seen or what you think, how is this affecting the black woman? Because if we were tired or overworked or like emotionally drained before, I don't know where we're digging to get this new found fight in us to go forward in 2020. So how do you think in your personal opinion, we have, we as black women have responded to the different socioeconomic changes that are going on right now? I don't know that it would be any different than like 
what we've been doing for the last hundreds of years. Like, um, it just seems like, like, I know, like, in like our grandparents' age or even our great-grandparents' age, like, um, when I think about my great-grandparents in particular, I know that my great-grandmothers um, definitely took more of a passive role when it came to, like, financially supporting the family. Um, but even when, like, my great-grandfathers were making, like, reckless financial decisions, like, the great-grandmothers had to be the ones to be like, no, I'm going to steal your check out of your pocket. I'm going to st- go make sure we go get groceries with this money and you're not going to blow it. Or I'm going to make sure that we talk to this neighbor and we share this resource with them and they can share this resource with us. You know, like, we're going to do an even exchange because I got this and they got that. Like, I feel like as women, like, we've always kind of had to step in because we're always thinking about, I, I think it's just a part of our nature, right? Like, we're always thinking about what our children need. That's really what it boils down to. I think that's part of the reason why we've been as resilient as we have as women. Cause it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on in the house with me and my man or me by myself. Like the moment we become mothers, like we, this level of like resilience and, and um, this need to survive like kicks in. And so then like, as black women, we take on those roles and we do that. And I can, I know for sure that happened with my great grandparents. I know with my grandparents, uh, my grandmothers started to work more and they took on more of the financial responsibility, but it still was kind of under the same like mindset of, and when this man is not doing what he needs to do, I'm going to take his money from him and I'm going to make sure I'm doing X, Y, and Z to to put it with mine, you know, and it's similar with my mom. Like I've talked before, like she is absolutely a workhorse when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, and feels guilty when she's not able to work as much as she would like to or provide as much as she would like to because she wants to make sure that her kids are taken care of. So I think even now with this like this pandemic that we're in and these adjustments that have happened with people losing jobs and stuff like that, like black women are still out here doing what we need to do to make sure that our kids are taken care of and they're eating and they're and they're cared for, you know, um, and that we're making those sacrifices. I don't know that we can really step away from that because that just seems to be like a fiber in how we're made um I don't know what what do you think I guess just from your I mean we both grew up southern um but like is that the same perspective that you've had or is that the same perspective I guess that you've like experienced from other people talking about it because I think you've been around more people who aren't southern than I have (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I think that um, I'll categorize a lot of the women I know as like single mothers. And I don't mean that in the dynamic of they don't have a husband or they don't have any type of help. I, I use that title in the sense of they do have the help and they, they are married and they have children, but they've got to maintain this like internal Iron Man core where if the light's not shining and they're not fully charged, stuff's just not happening. You know, so I think of like my friend whose daughter just graduated and she's got, you know, two who are already in college and she's having to like think through this and work through this and juggle, you know, household and everything going on in the world and three college three kids in college now and you know being the emotional 
rock for her husband. And then I think about, you know, my mom, who hello history of true definition of single mom. Um, you know, whether someone was there or not, like the the full total responsibility fell on her. And um yeah, I mean I'll akin it to, to Iron Man. It's like it's like if that if that middle light isn't shining, if that if that heart's not pumping and and they're not up and actively thinking about what all it is we need to do and take care of, then you know, nothing happens. Um and I think about like the strength that's needed because with everything else that goes on, it's amazing. Um, you still pick up the phone and call another strong black woman, like, oh, by the way, I need your emotional support too. So that's that's what's always like blown my mind about the black woman. And I'm not saying like white women can't be like this, but that's what's always blown my mind when I think about like great grandmothers and grandmothers and moms and, you know, strong black friends that we have, or, you know, like I was saying, you know, my friends at work, it's like when I have that weak moment. And I come to you and I'm I'm needing that emotional support or, you know, I don't even think boyfriends or husbands realize when they need that emotional support, she's tapped out. But oh, by the way, she's still giving me what I need, you know, whether it be that word of encouragement or that prayer or that that real honest kick in the ass moment. And so. I think that is what sets us apart and that's what's put that's what puts us on that pedestal of we can literally do everything. Um and so I think with the socioeconomic changes, you know, from what I've seen that it's tiring um because even though we've dealt with it for the last 100 years, here comes COVID-19 on top of that. So <laughs> um I think that from what I've seen we're making the best of a bad situation. And I mean, I guess, like you said, that's our core, that's our essence. But what I'm wondering, you know, kind of taking a left turn from here is when is, when do we get that break or do we ever get that break? When do we get that, that, that sit down moment, that relaxing moment, that gratifying moment, or do we have to find that in the tasks that we do? Like, how do you find your gratifying moment as a leader in your organization? How do you find that gratifying moment as with your partner um, to kind of when you pat yourself on the back? Like, what types of things do you look for or do to say, yeah, I'm the bomb? <laughs> yeah. So I think that like even before even going into all of that, right, because it was something that you said that I really wanted to speak to. Um, particularly as it related to like the strength that we um, that we have to have when it comes to being this strong person for our family and, and our man, whatever that, or our partner, you know, whoever it is that we're with. And just like this expectation that that continues to happen, right? Like we're all going through this um, difficult moment right now and this traumatic moment right now. And, and the expectation from other folks is to still be able to look at the Black woman for this strength and this calmness and this solace and this, you know, assurance, which I think speaks a lot to just the perception of what it means to be a Black woman, like, uh, and just the level of, like, fairness, right, that that comes with that, or the level of, of lack of fairness that comes with that, because, like, at the end of the day, like, I say we're superheroes, but we're still humans, you know, yeah. and so, like, 
we're still having these same emotional responses to things, this same um, financial worries about things, like all of these different things are, are hitting us. Yet it feels like the expectation is still um, so of the 100 percent of energy you have. I know you've already been divvying that 100 percent energy up in all these different buckets with all these different responsibilities you have. But now we're going to ask you to give us another 100 percent because other people need to be filled up. Other people's cups need to be filled up. And we look to you as the black woman to be the person to do that, you know. And so then we struggle with. um do I, you know, cause it's the moment we're like, nah, like I only have a hundred percent. I can't keep giving and giving and giving. Cause to your point, like who's filling our cup, who's pouring into us. Like we have to find these like strategies and tips and things ourselves to be like, okay, this is how I recharge. This is how I refuel or let me call this other black woman who's out here doing the most also and have her refuel me and take from her energy bucket. You know, like we have to do these things um while also taking into consideration all of the different needs of all of these other people around us and and all of these inanimate things like everything's not just about like us pouring our energy into kids and family extended family and and partners and stuff like that but it's also like and i'm pouring energy into this business i'm building and i'm pouring energy into my nine to five and i'm pouring energy into my church family and i'm pouring energy you know into all of these other different buckets and i don't know where that strength comes from I think it's, I think at this point, it's just kind of like, we have it because it is expected of us to have. And um, just as like a group, if I were to make this, this uh, judgment about us as a collective, like we struggle with, we struggle with um not living up to expectations anyway just as a group of people and so then when these expectations are imposed upon us like we do whatever it takes to um make sure that it's happening regardless of how that affects us as human people um at the end of the day and and it is because the perception is well you've always done it well that uh, that woman over there can do it well, you know, so on, so on, so forth. Um, and then it's like, well, you're right. Like I have given you 200% for the last two years. Why would I stop today giving this 200%, even though I know that the 200% is driving me like mad, you know, like I know it's driving me mad, but, mm -hmm. um, but that is how you see me. And that is what you expect of me. And I like to know that I'm being seen or valued in a certain type of way, even though, to be honest, if we really look at it, like, is it demonstrating a sense of value? If you are being very, like, if other people are being very unapologetic about, like, we'll just do it, like, make it happen. Like, does that mean you're actually valuing me? Or does that mean that you're valuing this, like, transaction that I'm able to give to you in this particular moment? Right. Uh, I don't know. I definitely think, cause I, yeah, I don't know. I definitely think, cause I do think that there comes a lot of pressure. Cause even when you think about like, you had this, I, you had this, um, you mentioned like breadwinning, bread, being the breadwinner and stuff like that. And just the responsibility that comes with that. I think we as women, cause you know, historically, um, black women have gotten more college degrees than black men in the past. And we know that in society, 
having a college degree usually, not always, right, but usually puts you in a different type type of like pay, gra- pay bracket and stuff like that. So it's not, it wouldn't be strange for Black women to serve in that breadwinner type of role. Um, even with that, even with that like level of responsibility financially, the expectation is still... And it has often been, I'm not going to just say all the time, not in all households, because I don't know how everybody's households run, but the expectation is often still, even though you are serving in this capacity, you should still make him feel like he's serving in this capacity because that is your role as the Black woman. Yes. Yes. And so then it's like, well, doggone. Like, so (laughs) so what is it that you want? Do you want, like, you know, because that's the perception. The perception is as the woman, um, and not just black woman, right, but as the woman, we are secondary. Nicole and I are always talking about this word primary and secondary. So as the the woman, we are the secondary piece, um, and that biblical, you know, we talked about that before with the commitment and stuff like that. So we are secondary in the dynamic but then when we have primary responsibilities put on us, the perception is still, well, while you are taking on these primary responsibilities, you are still secondary. You still need to understand that you're secondary. So you need to get this uh, idea of how you feel like you may be feeling like you present yourself as a primary, but you're not. Like, that's not how we viewing you. We're not viewing you as a primary. We viewing you as a secondary. Right. So then we also have a certain level of strength. We have to have a certain level of strength to be like, you right. Let me continue to like dim down my true strength nature. Or silence. But I think but I think that I think that and that's something that I feel like, especially like when I think about my grandparents and stuff and my great grandparents, all this and my mom. My mom is very traditional in that way. Um, I think it takes a significant amount of strength to be silent. It does. It takes a significant amount of strength to be able to be like, I'm not going to check you. I'm not going to put you in your place. I'm not going to let you know that you actually you're actually secondary in this situation. Like, I'm going to choose to fall back and um, allow what is happening to continue to happen. We have to be able to or we we have had to to operate in that way. I'm not going to say that it's still like the expectation of the millennial woman. I guess, you know, but like that has always been like this expectation as the woman, like it doesn't matter how, and you know what, listen, I'm all about these movies now. Cause you know, we can't go nowhere. So I just, you know, not recently, but I was watching the Clark sisters movie. And remember when, did you see the Clark sisters movie, Nicole? No, I didn't. Lord have mercy. Well, anyway, so in the Clark sisters movie, the mama um, is the one that like, you know, gets the group together and stuff like that. Well, in real life. I guess is what happens, but I watched it in the movie form and um, the husband was upset because, you know, he's like a pastor and he felt like she was getting too much attention and all she needed to do was sit there and be his first lady. That was it. So he's like hitting on the woman and abusing the woman and calling her out her name and saying all these crazy things to her because to him, what's important is that as the man she is showing him the glory and and she is making him get this attention even though in her works she's like building this like amazing gospel group that ends up you know with her daughters and stuff like that but he didn't care he didn't care about the accolades that were coming from that he didn't care about the spiritual gifts that his his children um 
clearly had what he cared about is that his woman was not acting like a woman for him. She was not sitting by his side silent while he got all of the attention as the man. And that is so real like that like yes that was in a movie yes that's one example but like that has been like a struggle just with black women in general just around like it doesn't matter how great you are you could be great in your personal time but when it comes to your responsibilities as it relates to this family unit you are responsible for being secondary when it comes to this man who may or may not or this person since we are like more fluid in like the dynamics of the family unit nowadays. Right. So like you are still responsible for making this other individual shine. That is a part of your job to make them look great and to make you look dull and then to make your kids look great as you continue to look dull. Like that is like how we are, how our purpose is often perceived. So then I know you said we got off of this professional thing. You didn't put me on a tangent now. So then when we go to, (laughs) when we go go back into the workspace, right? That's why it's so difficult when we do show up as strong people in these work environments. It's like, wait a minute, you ain't figured it out yet. Like you're not supposed to be strong here. You're not supposed to be strong there. You're not supposed to be strong there. Like you only supposed to demonstrate strength by being silent, by being agreeable, by being, you know, um, formidable right like they think that that's also us demonstrating strength by us being able to like adapt and change and make these sudden adjustments based on what they need because they're not organized you know or we have to show strength by having like two three four different plans in place silently quietly secretly because you can't have your plan in place and let people know because then we stepping over our secondary spot we stepping over our secondary (laughs) oh that's what i'm saying you can't be like so then, so then, okay, here's the, here's the catch 22 to that. If I have the plans and I know I'm taking care of what I'm supposed to be taking care of, and I know my household is straight and I know my kids look good and I know my husband is shiny and I've done what I need to do. Shame on me for exuding that confidence to say, I'm her, I'm it, but like you said, I'm about it. Shame on you. Like you said, that is the perception. That's not how we perceive ourselves clearly. But that is, but people who do fall into line um, typically are more accepted. So when we that just takes extra energy, that's extra energy. That's a new battle to fight. So when we choose not to fall in line, we have to know that we're fighting this battle that we're choosing to fight. We're choosing to show up as equally if not more important than some of these other people, which is going to, we're always going to, to, to run into a wall and hit our head into something. Now that's not to say like, I am at the end of the day, an optimist, right? So that's not to say that like the wall is never going to get cracked and never going to get torn down or whatever, but we just have to know going into that situation that if we're choosing to show up in that way, that is going to be a brutal fight every single time. Okay, so then let's talk about the proverbial ABW, the angry black woman. In all of this, we're not allowed to get mad. Something else I had to learn crossing 30. You know, when you're in your 20s, it's just, oh, she's young. Oh, she hasn't lived yet. But when you, <laughs> once you hit like 30 and get a few responsibilities, it's like now, now. You don't want to be the angry black woman. You don't want to be the only one. You don't want to be, oh, here she comes. Um, 
we get that title so quickly. I don't necessarily hear ABW in my household, but oh, let me speak up in a meeting. Oh, let me be irritated at the job. And I got the ABW title for the day. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Do we stay silent? Do we not get angry? How do you work through an ABW title? And I don't know, you're a labeler. You're the diversity person <laughs> over in what you do. <laughs> what what do you do with the angry black woman? I mean, to be quite honest, Nicole, like I have been labeled the ABW quite often. And I, but like I said, right, like, but I made the conscious choice that I don't care. Like, I feel like at the end of the day, um, you're not going to run over me. So if that means that right now you have to feel like I'm being angry, then cool, I'll be angry right now. Like, I know that I'm not, very rarely am I actually angry, right? Like, oftentimes it's really like, no, I'm just reminding you of how incompetent or inconsiderate you are. And you're taking that as anger. And it's not, I'm calm, I'm good, I'm feeling great. But because you don't like what I'm saying, now I'm being seen, you know, now I'm being perceived as angry. And it is what it is, like, I. but, but again, like, but I'm that person who's willing to hit my head on the wall over and over and over and over and over. Um, that's part of the reason why I went into education, because I feel like even if the wall never breaks while I'm hitting it, it will break by the time the person after me starts hitting their head on the wall. So I, I find that to be um, purposeful. But everybody's not like that. Everybody, My mom is the total opposite. We have these conversations all the time. She does not understand why I am actively always fighting these people like she just doesn't get it she's like aren't you tired why do you always have to say something because i don't think it's fair like to me that like that's how like you're not gonna run me ragged and you know you do x y and z but she's totally the opposite she's the person that just really believes in in peace so if it if the situation will be more peaceful by me just doing it then i'll just do it that's how she feels um you know, that's and and the perception of her is very different than me. My mom does not get the perception of being this angry black woman ever. Now, she will get that perception in the house because we see the real her, you know. But in terms of like in the world, never. She's calm. She's polite. She's uh, respectful. She's kind. Like any type of positive adjective that you can use to describe her, that is her all the time. Um, but that is the role. That's the that's the choice that she has chosen to make because she does believe in peace and she does believe in, in the least amount of drama and she does believe, and here I am, I don't know how I came from her because I just be like, I don't care how you feel. I don't care if what I'm saying hurts your feelings. You know, if what I'm saying is true, I'm, and I'm not going to try to hurt your feelings on purpose, um, you know, just to be mean and, and spiteful and malicious. That's the word I was trying to think about. <laughs> But I am going to say it if it needs to be said, at least from the seat that I'm sitting in. So in terms of like, I guess to more directly answer your question, I think it goes back to like, as an individual, what is most important to you? Is it is it how people are perceiving you or is it how you are perceiving yourself? I think that's what my silver nugget is always at the end of the day. It is more important to me of how I view myself than how other people perceive me. I'm okay with other people feeling disgruntled about who I am as a person. Um, Cause in my mind, that just means that we're not supposed to be in the same spaces for long periods of time anyway. But I know everybody's not like that. Everybody doesn't have that same like- Level of confidence. Of 
I yeah, I guess you could say confidence. Um, well, most people walk around with gold nuggets, not silver nuggets. So yours must be special. <laughs> Isn't gold more valuable than silver, though? <laughs> In you the proverbial world. You know what's crazy? So I, I love saying like these idioms and these cliches and stuff because I feel like that's what you're supposed to do when you're Southern. So I love saying these things. And do you know, I never know what they really are. I just say stuff. What was I struggling with earlier? Chugging back or chunking back or about my drink? Yes, to chug is to is to drink heavily in one short period of time. Whatever. Okay. All right. That's that's a great segue into uh something more serious. <laughs> um but 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 seriously, to end the to end the 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 rant for today, I should say. Um I don't know. I'll stay tuned to see um what this really means for the black woman on a national level. I'll say it like that. Um, we know what's going on in our household and our communities, but to get the national spotlight right now, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not impressed thus far. Uh, I still hold Auntie Mama close to my heart. Um, so <laughs> we'll see where we go from here. But um, anyway, so speaking of national platform, government, um, spotlight. Obviously, we are back in round two talks of stimulus and extending unemployment and where we go from here. Um, so this, this, this topic is not old. Um, our, our orange president has mentioned it before, <laughs> but it's it's back in the in the conversation again this this concept of negative interest rates okay so the financial tip for today is is really more of an of an fyi uh to help you understand kind of what you're listening to so to speak because he lies um so he's all for negative interest rates right now so some of you may be wondering what is that what does that mean the u.s has never done it before is it good is it bad like should i trust it should i be for it against it what the hell is it so disclaimer i am no expert i am not licensed to tell you this but this is what i know okay negative interest rates interest rates in general is basically the cost of borrowing money. Okay, so when you go get a loan, you pay an interest rate. When you have a savings account, there is an interest rate attached to it. And that would be money the bank pays you to have your savings there. Okay, so it can work in the borrowing or saving arena. Historically, in all of our lives as Americans, interest rates have been positive. So when you borrow, you owe the money bank. And when you save, the bank owes you money. This concept of negative interest rates is just the opposite. So theoretically, essentially, the bank pays you to borrow money and you almost pay the bank to save your money. Okay, so wait, theoretically, when you say you almost this is going to this is a learning experience for me, Nicole. So when you say you almost pay the bank money. Does that mean that if I have bank accounts, instead of giving me my little five cents every month, I'm going to have to give them five cents every month? Theoretically, yes. And I say almost because, again, I've never actually seen it, like, how it works in the U.S. So I don't know if banks have the power to say, 
you know, yes, we're negative. Yes, interest rates are negative, but we're not going to penalize our savers. I don't know. I don't know if that power exists. So that's why I say almost. Um, but I, I do know it, it does happen in terms of like, if you get a loan and negative and interest rates are negative, then essentially the bank is paying you to borrow money. So the orange man is for it because it is supposed to be like a quick zap to the economy, right? So we want to increase spending. We want to get people back out shopping. We want to put money back in the economy. We want to get jobs going. We want, and so for that to happen, you need big people borrowing money. You need small people borrowing money because you want businesses to move forward with their work plans and manufacturing plans, which creates jobs. You want little people like me and you to go out and shop and spend because that puts money back into the economy. And you want to to jumpstart things and to get things rolling back the way they are, right? You don't want people hoarding cash. You don't want, you know, despairing times. You want things flowing again. So negative interest rates is almost like a zap because theoretically, it would mean that banks would want to lend more money, right? Because they don't want to be penalized for holding all this cash. And it would mean that people would want to go borrow money and companies would want to go borrow money to do spending because, hey, they're getting paid to take money or to, to, to borrow money. And you're getting paid to, you know, go get these loans, car loans, mortgages, personal loans. And so, boom, here comes all this borrowing and here goes all this cash. And so, we're back where we need to be, and then we can skip. That's the theoretical side. Economists are saying, hey, wait a minute. We've seen how negative interest rates work because there's already a few countries in the world who operate like this since like 2014 and 2016. And here we are four, five, six years later, and I haven't seen this boom zap that you're talking about. You know, they haven't like jumped to number one their overall country spending has not boosted the way that you thought it was. And in some instances, it's actually gone in the opposite direction. So where you think banks would want to be lending out all this money to you, they're actually saying, wait a minute, our profits are getting squeezed. Now we have to charge more for fees because we're not making that money off the interest for the money that we're letting people borrow. Because that's ideally how a bank makes money off the interest. When you go borrow money and you have to pay 2%, that 2% is the bank's profit. That's extra on top of the money that you borrow, right? Mm. So in, in the negative interest rate world, banks are like, wait a minute, we're not making money off the money we're lending out. So now we need to somehow compensate for this. And so do we increase our fees? Or do we scale back on lending period if I have to pay you to borrow my money? So then the exact opposite happens. Banks tighten up, fewer loans go out, less jobs happen, less spending happens, people hoard cash anyway, and then it just doesn't work. And so that's what the economists are arguing. We know what you want to do, but here's what we have like real life proof of happening in other places. So it's an ongoing debate. It's an ongoing struggle and there are pros and cons on both sides of it, but it ultimately boils down to 
what would really happen if we if we struck that match. But the problem with that is you can't unring that bill. Like once it happens, it happens. And you could raise interest rates again. But you know, Sherelle, it's like I was saying, psychologically, nobody wants to see a hike in rates. Nobody wants to see um having to pay more out, even if it's like 25 basis points to 50 basis points. It's only a quarter point jump, but in my mind, it's still a higher number than it was before, right? So you have to be really careful how you deal with the American people right now because we're in a delicate financial space. I don't want to see my bills increase. I don't want to see the cost of spending money increase. So it's a delicate situation. I'll say it like that. But but yes, that's what the orange man's talking about. So if we're at, because I, I saw on there that the, what do they call it? The Fed Reserve. Mm-hmm. So right now we're at 0% interest? Uh, Somewhere between zero and a quarter basis point. Yes. Okay. So then that means that if I borrow money, I'm just paying back exactly what I borrow. Since it's 0% interest. Well, if if your interest rate is at zero percent, yes. So so a lot of what you see when you see like the Fed Reserve rate and stuff, it's it's it is um it's an interest rate, but like on a on a on a real life basis, like on our level, if you were to go to the bank, some banks lend at what's called the prime rate, and that's not at zero percent. Right. That's a that's a standard rate controlled by something else. And so what they do is they usually lend on like prime plus whatever the Fed rate is. Oh. Right. So with the so if normally you would pay like prime plus two, then that might be five point five percent. But since the Fed rate is at zero, then oh. it would be prime plus the zero. So then you would be at the three point five percent rate. So that's kind of where the Fed rate comes into play. It's all those um, variable rate loans and stuff like that. And it's it's mm-hmm. your prime plus whatever type loans. That makes So sense. the average person won't just like walk out and get a 0% loan, obviously. But those people who deal with like a lot of variable rates um, and, you know, prime loans um, or the where their rate is prime plus something, that's usually where the decision that the Fed makes, their rate is affected. That is so helpful. Now I know what that stuff means because I see it on my credit cards and stuff. I'm like, what in the world? What is this? What the yeah, yeah. Oh. There's usually always a base rate. And so when the Fed's changing their rates, it's it's that extra that you see. Um, now what's directly controlled at 0% right now, since you've spoken on it, is like the federal federally held student loans. So that rate is, at zero because the government said it's at zero um and that's one of the pending decisions that's going forward you know do we take these off of forbearance and put people back to their you know the rate that was in their promissory note or do we keep things at zero um in my personal opinion i don't think we should go to negative interest rates i think that um a lot of your consumers right now are borrowers of student loans and you know i think that a lot of people with the privately held student loans got jacked because their stuff didn't go anywhere they still had to pay regardless of what the government did with the federal loans and so 
there's still that financial squeeze in each household. So I think it would be helpful, more helpful going forward if we kept the interest rate for these student loans at zero so that people could pay back more of their principal and get on top of, you know, on top of that debt and get behind it and get it paid off quicker. I think you would see, you know, much more movement in the next five, seven, 10 years than you would just, just ringing the bell of negative interest rates. But I'm a student loan borrower, so I'm biased. You're a student loan borrower, so. I was um, going to say, too, because you always bring up these private loans. You are so salty about these private loans that you have. I am. I really <laughs> am. Listen, if you, if my listeners wanted to right now, it, it would be, that should be payoff number one. Like, a whole coronavirus hit, and we were still responsible for that. Like, it, the payment went nowhere. Um, so... Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. But but in a nutshell, that's that's the FYI financial tip for today, negative interest rates. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. You know, I, you know, when we have these conversations, because you're my person, I, that way I, you know, I like to ask questions. And I like that I can talk to you about this. You know, I always kind of gloss over a little bit because I don't really understand everything that you're saying. But <laughs> <laughs> it is so helpful to be able to have you to break this down for me. Because I saw it and I was like, wait a minute, this looks like it applies to me, but I don't know what it means. So thank you for helping us sort through the things that the government is often not talking to us about, but still absolutely affects us every single day. Yeah. Um, Okay, so shifting into Sherelle's corner. So uh, y'all have already heard me talk before about how I believe that Therapy should be provided for free for the Black community, and it should be at the expense of um, folks who control the world. Um, We'll do like a part two of that today for my gym and in my corner. So earlier today um, or earlier this week, I was listening to Dr. Joy. I always forget her last name, but she's the person who does the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, which is great if y'all don't listen to it. You should definitely listen to Dr. Joy. So um, she was talking about this and the Ebony lady that's on uh, Revolt Black News and then G Herbo, who's a rapper, apparently, um, we're talking about like mental health in Black communities. And it really like struck me as super interesting <clears throat> because as a teacher, I'm always talking with my folks about how important it is to acknowledge just the trauma that our students are experiencing um, outside of school and how that is affecting them in school. And so then those three folks in particular were talking this morning about how like PTSD is a real thing um, and that we should normalize like talking about PTSD. We should normalize talking about mental health in Black communities in particular and that we should stop seeing PTSD as a problem for folks who are in the military or a problem for folks who are like first responders um, because PTSD is a real thing happening in our black communities every single day. Um, So when we think about it, so we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, right? And so oftentimes when we hear about post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, um, first we'll talk about like the vets and how they're dealing with just like coming back from war or being in those dangerous situations or even firemen who are going in and they're fighting these fires. We talked about it when 9-11 happened. Um, More than we do in the black community, we also talk about how women deal with PTSD when they have like pregnancies and mothering and delivery and all of that. Um, But the only difference 
that really exists when we're thinking about like um, first responders or military folks in particular when it comes to PTSD and the Black community is that when things trigger them, first responders and um, military folks in particular, when things are triggering for them and they're triggering their PTSD, oh, Nicole's dog is trying to join. Am I triggering him? I don't, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) There was a thump on a wall somewhere and he was triggered. Sorry. So it wasn't my voice. That's what you're saying. No, it wasn't that. It was, it was, it was a real test. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) so the difference is the primary difference is that, um, when those folks are triggered, um, it usually takes them to an experience that they had in those environments, right? So they think back to that time when they had to run into that burning building, or they think back to that time when like bullets were sh- were flying at them, you know, in the middle of wherever country they were when they were fighting. Um, whereas in the Black community, when folks are being triggered with their PTSD, they're living it every single day. So it could very well be um, memories that are happening inside the home. It could be memories that are happening um, outside, like directly outside, like maybe around the corner, in front of their yard, you know, whatever else, right? Which is extremely um, impactful when we consider the fact that our homes are supposed to be our safe havens. And folks is quote unquote safe haven and their home is actually what's causing them this trauma. Um, so that's what we need to like consider more of. That's what they were talking about today. So in 2015 in particular, there was an article. So there's a lot of folks who are starting to do like a lot of research behind PTSD in the Black community because for some reason it's not believed as a real thing. I don't know why. So in 2015, um, Dr. Monica Williams started uh, doing research and writing articles about like racism and how that affects PTSD and things like that. And she's like, yep, it's absolutely happening. Um, one out of 10 folks, one out of 10 black folks in particular will be diagnosed with some type of chronic trauma issues. Uh, and so we, even when we think about now, when we talked earlier about like Black Lives Matter and the stuff that's going on with police brutality and all of that, like within the last five years, the state of America, particularly black America has definitely increased that number, right? Like. We went from, in 2015, one out of 10 being diagnosed, and I'm intentionally using that word because there's lots of us walking around who just aren't diagnosed um, in the Black community with a lot of things because we still aren't um, talking about mental health in Black communities the way that we should. Uh, But now, when you turn on the TV or you turn on Facebook or you turn on, you know, any type of live stream, anything, and you're constantly seeing Black bodies gunned down and you're constantly seeing Black bodies being... Um, uh, what did they just do in Portland? Tear gassed, you know, like all the stuff from the 60s that we thought mm-hmm. makeshift right? lynchings. Right, exactly. So like that is also creating these traumatic experiences for us. And so G Herbo in, in particular, because his new album, he named PTSD because he's trying to bring awareness around it. And he's like, yeah, like we're at like about 70, 80% of the black black community who are experiencing PTSD and that number could even be even higher than that if we actually sat down and did the type of like uh, testing and diagnoses that we should be having. So going back to what I said earlier about why therapy should be free, um, because we have those numbers that I just spat at you and we know that like historically 
the health policies, the education policies, the housing policies, they've all contributed to these unsafe environments where, again, folks are at home and they're being triggered all the time. It makes me think about, I told y'all I'm all into movies now because I can't go nowhere. It makes me think about like straight out of Compton, and, you know, and just seeing like they just walk outside and they on the street, they, they face down on the street. You just see black bodies all the time just being harassed by police and just um, living around just like violence in that way. That is definitely um, a result of the policies that have continued to exist for X amount of years um, that have negatively affected Black bodies. And so because of that, because we have existing policies that create these segregated communities, that create these um, inequitable uh, access to resources, that create these broken um, relationships in terms of trust with folks who are supposed to be there to protect um, protect you in an actuality. They create this fear um, when you walk outside of your home or you walk down the street to grandma's or whatever like that. Those in itself should just be reasons why um, Black people should have unlimited access to um, free mental health, quality mental health care um, so that we can start to address some of this PTSD. Because some of the violence, because then people start talking about like, why does police brutality matter so much? If black people are killing black people, like what we're not acknowledging is that black people could very well be out here killing black people because they are experiencing PTSD, which is a direct result of these racist policies that are in place. So, again, another tangent. I do want to add to that because I know that we were talking earlier um, just about like the perceptions of black women and how uh, we are expected to be strong and exude this level of strength for all other people. It's like everybody can be weak but us. Um, so I do want to also add that like black women are going through this, you know, it's difficult for moms and, and going back to the episode you talked about earlier, Nicole, with our gratitude episode, you know, um, we talked significantly about like how like there's just this level of fear of having like your child be out here in the community and with things that are being gunned, you know, people are being gunned down and stuff like that. And um, that has become normal for our community, unfortunately. And so something that, Dr. Joy talked about specifically uh, in the thing, in the segment, was checking on your strong friends, which has become like a meme at this point. Like everybody's always talking about checking on your strong friends. But what is not necessarily being talked about is that when you check on your strong friends, it's important that we are prepared to provide support um, when they say they need it, first of all. And secondly, whether you check on them or not, you obviously should, but whether you check on them or not, when your strong friends come to you and say, I need support, it's also important that we believe them. Because we can't just be like, oh, you're good, you strong, and then like discredit or disregard what they're saying. Like if they're reaching out, if you know that they're strong and they're reaching out and saying, and I need you, then that in itself should be um, enough of a wake up call to be like, whoa, this must be for real. Like they never need help, you know, um, rather than the opposite reaction, which is usually like, oh, you got it, or I'm busy, or I come to you, you're the one that gives me the support, da 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 da. Um, that could, tying my bow around this, be contributing to the type of trauma and stress. Um, that they're undergoing, which could, in theory, lead to these other drastic things happening in their lives because it is um, not being helped. 
You know, Cheryl, to add to that, like, I think, you know, you mentioned the strong friends. I think it's also important, like, not to remind them of their accolades. And I'll explain what I mean. Like, for example, if I were to call you and, and need, like, support, that's not the time for you to be like, but you got that big old house. But you got that, don't you got that husband? Don't you have that? Like, I think we've all experienced that one person that wants to like remind us in some shallow type of way of what I have. I don't know if that's a projection of insecurity or jealousy of some sort, but like, that's not the time for that. I just feel the need to say that because I I feel like I've experienced that. And you reminding me of, quote my blessings is not in that way it it has a negative effect and so you know I think I think that's a great time to look at each other as equals like she's human I'm human and let me hear your need you know right so I'm glad you used that word because I think that it's a different need like I do think um sometimes we do want to be reminded that we're bosses Um, and sometimes we just want to be vulnerable and we just want to, um, have someone to help us sort through something or navigate through something or whatever it is. So I think the important piece is listen to what they're saying that they need. If your strong friend is saying, I need to be reminded that I'm a boss and that I don't have to take this at work or I don't have to be with this abusive man or whatever, 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 right? Then maybe that is the time to be like, girl, you a boss, you killing it, you da-da-da-da. And that's what she wants in that moment. She needs that affirmation. But Mm -hmm. if that's not what she's saying, if she's not saying that she needs that affirmation and she's truly saying like, I'm hurting right now, then that is not the time to like, to your point, right? Like rub in her face why she's a boss. Cause in that particular moment, there's nothing you can say to make her feel like a boss. It's a totally different type of need. It's a totally different type of, you know, like um, struggle or gap that's being experienced in that particular moment. So again, like listening, listen to, we should all be listening anyway, whatever, but we don't. But <laughs> you know, I could, you know, I am. another podcast topic. <laughs> we should all be listening anyway. Like, people are using their words when they're communicating, usually. Um, but like, the big piece of this really is just like, like, listen to what people are saying that they need and honor and respect that. Don't brush it off, don't disregard it, don't uh, make it into like a joke or anything like that, or make them feel guilty. Don't guilt them about it. Like, it's okay for people to have these human feelings because we are humans. Okay, well, that wraps up the corner. I was actually touching my fingertips in anticipation of some some yoga moment with you, but that you know, I like this one. I like today. This one. I was fussing. I'm fussing. Today. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, we have we have dug deep today, and um, I I enjoy this one. I I do love and appreciate my black women. So um, I'm glad to. No, we have superheroes listening to us. Um, we were here a long that, time, Nicole. We we were, but this was important. My superheroes won't won't uh, they won't object. <laughs> we even had a a, a a verbal piece from the dog. So, um, that being said, um, superheroes, feel free to interact with us and ask questions. We have an email. Um, it's podcast to the number 
blackgirls at gmail.com. We're also millennials, so follow us on Twitter at pod two, the number black girls, P-O-D number two, black girls with an S. And don't forget to leave reviews and subscribe on your preferred listening platform, whether you're listening to us on show my ignorance there but the platform that you're listening to us on okay (laughs) and also be sure to share your favorite episodes with your friends the best advertisement is word of mouth so pass at least one episode to someone you you know you love that needs to hear it um and as always manager 24 we only get 24 hours in a day eight of them should be used for sleeping so manager 24 responsibly and you guys stay healthy out there in this in this covid world we're still living in and we'll talk to you guys in two weeks bye bye <laughs>